Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you, and enjoy. Good morning. My name is Chris Fanta. I'm a director of the Partners Asthma Center and a member of the Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine Division at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. And I'm delighted to have the opportunity to discuss with you today acute exacerbations of COPD. We'll uh, talk about their impact on the lives of our patients with COPD and focus on the fact that they are uh, treatable and, and to some extent preventable. And I'd like to begin with a case presentation that highlights the uh, experience of acute exacerbations of COPD. So let's imagine you receive a call from an emergency medicine physician regarding your patient, Edward Jones, who was seen this afternoon in the local emergency department. He is a 67-year-old man with COPD and moderate airflow obstruction whom you've treated in your practice for about one year. He presented to the emergency department with severe shortness of breath brought by ambulance because his wife felt that he couldn't say, she couldn't safely get him down a flight of stairs and into the car for her to drive him to the office. The emergency room physician proceeds to tell you about the following details. Uh, she says, on presentation, he was markedly tachypnic, afebrile, without chest pain. His chest examination had very soft expiratory wheezes, and his oxygen saturation initially was 84% and corrected to 93% with supplemental oxygen. His chest x-ray showed hyperinflation, no parenchymal opacities to suggest pneumonia. So we gave him nebulized albuterol with ipratropium for a total of four doses, and, uh, uh, and some oral steroids. His white blood cell count was elevated at 10,400 and his sputum looked discolored, so we gave him also a written prescription for a five-day course of azithromycin. He looks a lot better now and wants to go home. His oxygen saturation is 95% breathing air and falls no lower than 90% when he walks to and from the bathroom. We're sending him home on a five-day course of prednisone and his fluticasone and albuterol inhalers as before. I'm calling now, the emergency department physician says, to see if you'll be able to see him in follow-up later this week. So you offer uh, Mr. Jones a, a visit before the end of the week, and as you hang up the phone, you recall that he had a similar urgent care visit for an exacerbation of COPD just uh, three months ago. And you wonder to yourself, what other options you have uh, to prevent the next one? So that's our case, and the purpose of this podcast is really to highlight the importance of exacerbations of COPD on our patients' quality of life and long-term outcomes from COPD and to suggest that there are therapies, both pharmacologic and non-pharmacologic, that 
can reduce his risk of another exacerbation. We won't allow ourselves to fall into the trap of thinking that Mr. Jones has severe airflow obstruction, irreversible airflow obstruction, so exacerbations are to be expected and unavoidable. We'll be prepared for that follow-up office visit. And so let's define an exacerbation of COPD as simply an increase of symptoms requiring an increase in medication use, a moderate exacerbation. Moderate severity would be one that requires oral corticosteroids and or antibiotics. A severe exacerbation typically defined as requiring emergency room care or uh, overnight uh, hospitalization. And exacerbations of COPD have a major impact on the lives of our patients with COPD. Besides the, the discomfort and fear and impaired uh, functioning that are associated with this episode, uh, overall patients are impacted in their quality of life. Uh, some have a progressive decline in lung function in association with it, their exacerbations. There's a risk of mortality from severe exacerbations, and it's a huge uh, aspect of the health care costs for COPD. So they are an important part of the natural history of the disease. Common causes, as you know, include respiratory infections, both viral and bacterial irritants, smoke inhalation, cigarette smoking, air pollutants can all uh, trigger an event. And then uh, because these are patients uh, often in middle and older age, they are at risk for major comorbidities that can contribute to their exacerbations, whether it's a flare of heart failure or an arrhythmia or pulmonary embolism or pneumonia, uh, especially now in the age of uh, COVID-19. Uh, and one wonders who, uh, who, who gets these episodes of uh, exacerbations? Who's at risk for uh, uh, more frequent acute exacerbations? And this has been studied in a huge uh, uh, prospective observational study called Eclipse. It was the evaluation of COPD longitudinally to identify predictive surrogate endpoints. And it was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2010. And they found, uh, interestingly, that besides disease severity, so yes, the more severe your disease, the more likely you were uh, to have um, uh, an exacerbation. And severity was t defined in terms of the uh, goal that's the global initiative of, on uh, COPD, they're staging one through four based on lung function. You probably know this with stage one, 80% FEV1 or greater, stage two, uh, uh, less than 80%, but greater than 50%, stage three, less than 50% of the normal predicted value, and stage four, um, uh, less than 30% on the FEV1 uh, compared to normal. And um, the more severe the airflow obstruction, the more likely you are to have an exacerbation. And reflux maybe played a role. Patients with leukocytosis and overall poor quality of life on a uh, you know a respiratory questionnaire related to COPD, they too were more likely to have exacerbations. But the one major determinant that stuck out was very interestingly 
a history of previous exacerbations of COPD. So there's a certain phenotype of population of patients. If in this study, if a patient had had two or more exacerbations of their COPD in the year prior to study, then over the three years of observation, they were most likely to have two or more exacerbations, whereas those who had not had an exacerbation prior to entry into the study were likely not to have an exacerbation over the years of follow-up. So this phenotype of a frequent exacerbator is a predictive of, predictor of who's at risk, and certainly our patient Edward Jones, having had now two episodes within three months, seems to fit that description. So what is the treatment for these patients uh, uh, as was in uh, our example, in the emergency room, it's typically short-acting bronchodilators, albuterol with and, or without uh, ipratropium, uh, systemic uh, steroids when the dyspnea associated with these episodes don't improve, and a course of antibiotics. And often you'll do uh, recommend these interventions uh, in your office or sometimes over the telephone. Who gets antibiotics? Um, for an exacerbation for years, we've used what have been referred to the Antonison criteria after the uh, pulmonologist Nick Antonison, who found that in a large uh, study, patients with the following three features, at least two of the three, were most likely to benefit from a course of antibiotics. It was patients whose uh, exacerbation of COPD was characterized by dyspnea, one, increased sputum volume too, and sputum purulence, a change to yellow or green uh, discoloration of the sputum. Two of those three features uh, identified patients who tended to benefit from a course of antibiotics. Recently, uh, investigators have wondered whether C-reactive protein might be helpful and suggested in an article in the New England Journal that a CRP less than 20 milligrams per liter suggested a population that might not need antibiotics. And in that study, uh, uh, when the decision-making was partly on clinical grounds and partly on the point-of-care CRP level, there was no increase in, uh, in disease morbidity, but less antibiotic use when following this rule of CRP less than 20 didn't require a course of antibiotics, an interesting novel approach that still needs further investigation. But now when the patient comes to see us, we're going to decide about a, a, a therapy. And remember, he had been taking just fluticasone and albuterol, and that's not a good regimen. Inhaled steroids are associated with an increased risk of pneumonia in patients with COPD and aren't appropriate as monotherapy uh, in the treatment of COPD. But there are options. We can be, use the um, guidance of the GOLD 2020 criteria, which uh, uh, has groups A, B, C, and D, depending on two aspects. One, severity of symptoms, and two, frequency of exacerbations. So severity of symptoms are typically judged uh, on uh, respiratory questionnaires. I think the easiest one is the modified Medical Research Council questionnaire, and it is suggested that patients with a, a score on this uh, scale of 
uh, greater than two uh, are now uh, category uh, B, no longer in category A, based on the severity of dyspnea. And, and, and a level of two on this MMRC uh, questionnaire is, I walk slower than people of my same age on the level ground because of breathlessness, or I have to stop for breath when walking at my own pace on the level. So symptoms that are of that level of, in terms of dyspnea or greater put the patient into category B based on uh, severity. And then uh, C and D are based on frequency of exacerbations and two or more exacerbations or one exacerbation requiring hospitalization uh, uh, steps up into group D. So, um, severe symptoms, frequent exacerbations, D. Mild symptoms, frequent exacerbations, C. Um, uh, severe symptoms, but not prone to exacerbations, B. And then mild symptoms and no exacerbations, group A. And we have guidance then in terms of therapies, uh, uh, stepping up therapies according to this ABCD assessment model. And the emphasis that I'd like to make is that there are effective therapies that both treat symptoms and reduce uh, frequency of exacerbations. And typically, we'll turn to the long-acting bronchodilators. And as you know, uh, not only do we have a long-acting beta agonist and long-acting muscarinic antagonist, but we have the combination of the two in a single device. Many are given once daily. So uh, compliance is uh, 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 reasonable, I think, in a once-daily dosing medication and highly effective. Long-acting bronchodilators. And then in some, adding an inhaled steroid to a long-acting bronchodilator or bronchodilator combination is reasonable. Perhaps not everyone, but patients with increased mucus, perhaps with eosinophilia, certainly with these recurrent exacerbations requiring oral steroids, it's a reasonable choice. And as you know, available now are combination long-acting beta agonist, long-acting muscarinic antagonist, and inhaled steroid, all available in a single device. And these have been shown to both improve symptoms, improve quality of life, and prevent exacerbations. Now, while the off patient is in the office, we should think of other things that we can do besides medical therapies. Certainly in the active smoker, we'll emphasize smoking cessation. Uh, we'll check oxygen saturation, and in the chronically hypoxemic patient, with an oxygen saturation 88% uh, or, or lower, will recommend long-term supplemental oxygen. In <clears throat> patients who have had frequent exacerbations of their COPD, there are other options besides bronchodilator. One you may know is the uh, uh, phosphodiesterase 4 inhibitor roflumilast, which is in a sense a derivative of theophylline. And 
uh, it has mild bronchodilator effect, but also has been associated with decreased frequency of exacerbations, a tablet given uh, w once uh, daily. Another approach has been chronic antibiotics using typically a, a macrolide antibiotic, and evidence suggests that uh, azithromycin, 250 milligrams once daily, uh, taken for as long as a year, reduces the frequency of exacerbations in patients with COPD and frequent exacerbations. Let's not forget about pulmonary rehabilitation. That's an excellent option for our patient with exertional dyspnea, airflow obstruction, and a component of deconditioning uh, such that um, because of dyspnea, Mr. Jones hasn't exercised very much. He's become deconditioned, and with a regular uh, supportive pulmonary rehab program, he can build up his exercise tolerance. And there's a social aspect to these <clears throat> meetings. There's an educational component and, uh, and uh, evidence that fewer exacerbations of COPD uh, occur in patients who have undergone and then maintain an exercise program related to their pulmonary rehab. And let's not forget about flu shots and pneumococcus vaccinations um, as a preventative strategy. So just uh, before we leave uh, Mr. Jones at our follow-up visit, we've improved his regimen. Perhaps we've uh, added something for uh, prevention of frequent exacerbations. We've recommended pulmonary rehab. Let's take a minute and review his inhalation inhaler technique that's also always worthwhile. Uh, no sense prescribing the best medical regimen in the world if our patients aren't taking it effectively, delivering it to the airways. We'll probably recheck his oxygen saturation if we could, both at rest and with exercise. Make sure that he's up to date on his vaccines. He's been a cigarette smoker, and if he hasn't quit within the last 15 years, we'll consider him for uh, annual low-dose screening chest CT scan for early detection of lung cancer, criteria being uh, greater than 30 pack year cigarette smoking history and s active smoking within the last 15 years in a person between the ages of uh, 55 and 80. Uh, and let's just take a minute in terms of a COPD action plan. Let's make sure that he knows about the symptoms and signs of a COPD flare and how to contact you at an early stage when you can recommend an appropriate escalation of his therapy and prevent these frightening hospital-based severe attacks. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity to talk with you. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.